1: All right. So today what we're going to be talking about is the fruit of meekness. The fruit of meekness, because I think one of the most important things is, you know, we talked about gentleness in this series. We talked about God's goodness. We talked about, you know, love and peace and long suffering. But I think what we're going to get into tonight is understanding meekness, the importance of it. The very fact that you can be someone that might be strong and you know, you're know you someone that might have all the right answers. You might even be someone that everybody looks to to try and figure things out. But you see, meekness is a type of humility or humbleness that you have. And I remember many cases when I used to go to my dad and say things to him about the things I thought I knew. I remember one time I said to my dad, Dad, $1,000 is rich. My dad was like, that's not rich. And I'm like, yes, it is, because it's $1,000. And I'm a little kid, and I'm just running my mouth because I never had $1,000. But my dad would just say, okay, Derek, you know, after telling me or whatever, but that was a type of meekness instead of just trying to give me the answers, knowing I didn't understand. And then, woohoo in your face, you know, but my dad didn't do that to me because, you know, he was, he was really showing meekness. And and there are times even with ministry and things that we deal with and we go through, people are going to say the wrong things, man. But there are times that you can let someone out gracefully and give them the correct answer, or you can find yourself arguing with them just to make a point. I'm learning that, you know, it doesn't pay to argue because the Holy Ghost is not about that. Reasoning, Yes. The Holy Ghost is all for disputing about the scriptures. Yes, because it is important that people around you may hear the truth and be able to decide for themselves. But arguing and contention, that's kind of in the heart. You see what I'm saying? I can dispute with you two about something, but it doesn't mean that we're arguing. You can bring up a point. I can bring up a point and do whatever. But when it gets to the place of arguing, then, you know, all humility goes out the window, because at this point, you just want to be right, never mind remaining in the spirit. So the Lord is teaching me a lot about meekness. And this is what we're going to talk about concerning it. You know, meekness is a type of humility that only comes from God. I know a lot of people think, well, I'm a meek person. But in comparison to God, meekness is a fruit of the spirit. It's not something we can come up with ourselves. Because there is a such thing as a false humility also. There is a thing where people will act like they're being humble because they want to be seen by others, but knowing that you and that person were alone and no one was around, they would tear you apart, you know? So humility and meekness is a fruit of a spirit. It has to be organically grown. It's nothing that we can do of ourselves. It's nothing that we can try to do. If you become one with Jesus, his meekness will be a part of you. And that's, that's simply the way it is. This is all about nature. But tonight we're going to talk about meekness. And I think everybody's going to get something from it. I know I did. All right. So let's go into prayer and let's get started. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. Lord, I ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my sisters, that we have yet another day that we may be partakers of your word to edify the body of Christ. I pray for those who couldn't be here today, Lord. I pray for the brethren that are out there in the fight. I pray for my brother, Gary Price, Lord, that you give him funds, Lord, that he's able to build this dunamis tabernacle if he so chooses. I pray, Lord, for... Uh, my brother Ethan and my brother Greg in Italy and my brother Rock T73 in Australia. I pray for the brethren and sisters in this ministry. I pray for those that are struggling, Lord. I pray for the parents of some of us in the ministry that are sick, that you heal them, Lord, and that you restore them to wholeness, that they may be one with you, Lord, and grow in spirit, that you might get the glory. I pray, Lord, today that no man's heart be heard, that no flesh be glorified, But by your spirit, Lord, I pray that all these things be done. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that all these things be done. And I especially, Lord, want to fight against the spirit of suicide. I pray that you release your warring angels into the lives of those who this lying spirit is trying to keep people from doing, that they may understand, Lord, that there is hope in you, that there is no reason to take your life because it's only a permanent solution to a temporary problem. So, Lord, we just pray for your hope. We pray for your love. We pray for an outpouring of your spirit that your people may be built up to do your righteous works. We pray and we ask that all these things be done, O King of kings and Lord of lords, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so as I just mentioned, we're gonna be talking about the spirit of meekness or the fruit of meekness. And what we're gonna go into right now is Psalm 25. I think we're gonna start with a Psalm and we're gonna get right into this lesson. Psalm chapter 25, and we're going to begin at verse 1. This particular psalm I chose because it really tells you the importance of having meekness. And I think this is one of the fruit that eluded me in my life. You know, when I can look back on things, because it's great to know things, but to devour people over it, it's just not worth it. And the Lord has been teaching me, even concerning this ministry, that there are ways to teach people without them even knowing that they're being taught. You know, there are sometimes people may bring up points that are good points that may not. There might be true points, but may not have much to do with what they're trying to explain. Well, the Lord shows you in many ways that you can tell a person that's good, you know, but check this part out, too. It can go along with what you're actually saying. Now, that's not a tactic to try and deceive someone. But it is a way that you can show with meekness that you're helping the person to grow without the benefit of your straight wrong. And that's the way it's going to be, you know, so we cannot contend. Mm-hmm. So I'm twenty five. Let's look at verse one. And he says unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul? Oh, my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. So David's psalm here makes a whole lot of sense because he's talking about one, not letting his enemies have dominion or rule over him. But he's saying for them that wait on God, let them not be ashamed because a lot of the times, When we wait on God, we can always be compared to things in the world. And people would love to tell you, yeah, you sitting there waiting on God, but look at my Maserati. You know, I got this and I got that, but look at you in your life. So a lot of times people are ashamed to profess the name of God because they know what consequences will come, that you might get mocked, that you may be ridiculed, that things may come your way. But you see, when you follow and serve God and do the things that God says, then God will pay dividends. He will pay with rewards that that we can't even fathom. But we must learn to wait on him because God is always right. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care how your math goes in this particular thing. God is always right. And if we know this, then we should wait on him for all instruction. All right, so it says in verse uh, four, Show me thy paths O oh lord teach me thy paths how many of us are asking god to teach us things you know because we're good for asking god for the things that we want but how many of us are actually saying lord can you teach me how to pray that's one thing i loved about the disciples when they didn't know and they realized that jesus would go to mountainous places to pray and then perform miracles and do all these things they were bold lord teach us how to pray. They really wanted to know. And the Lord told them. So you see, when you wait on God and you ask God for things, that is also submitting yourself to him with, you know, to receive answers or to do the things that he wants. But we come to God many times as if we already know, Lord, I just, um, can you give me this? How about Lord, teach me how to handle this? Teach me to hear your voice. Teach me to seek your face that I may know your wants and the things that you don't want. You see, there's a type of humility. There's a type of meekness when you come before God that way. But in many cases, we already act as if we know what we want and need and we ask God for these things. But David is saying, not just um, show me your ways, but teach me your paths. Teach me how to walk, how to do what you want. Look at verse five. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. So, what is David understanding here? That God is right, God is truth. And he says he's the God of his salvation. See, now many of us know that, that we serve a God of our salvation. But guess what? Half the time we treat him as if a magic genie in the lamp that we can talk to when we need things. But how often do we seek his counsel? I don't care. Even in the smallest of matters, Lord, you're absolutely right. How do I deal with this? Show me how to deal with this. And you know what? Instead of us responding ourselves, in many cases, which the Lord is teaching me, because I always feel like I got a word in season and I'm ready to go back and tell people what's what, you know, even when people say or do things to us, how many times do we actually say, Lord, how do I deal with this matter? What should I say? What should I speak? What should you want to happen in this situation? You see, that's all a part of meekness. That's all a part of humility. But half the time we walk around like God is our buddy. Okay. And as we walk, he walks along with us. And when I need his counsel, I'll ask. But if not, I'll just handle it myself. That's not a part of humility. That's not a part of meekness. You know, so it's important that we understand if God is truly the God of our salvation, and he's the only one that can get you there Then there are things that we ought to know from him just to get there okay look at verse six remember O lord thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness for they have been ever of old now this is true whenever that's why the bible tells us to count our blessings because we can go back to places in our lives where you know you remember god is good in every little situation some people only remember God is good when they get money. Some people only remember that God is good when, you know, there are positives happening in your life. But how many times have we rejoiced and praised him and thanked him, even in the worst situations of our lives? You see, but David here is recognizing that your loving kindness and your tender mercies have been ever of old from the very beginning. When I was a small child, when I was ignorant, when I was insane. David here is showing meekness before God. Look at verse 7. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to thy mercy. Uh, Remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. So you see, God is good because. He'll look at you in your circumstances and see you're in the worst possible situation you can be in and desire to teach anyone that wants to learn the right way. There aren't too many people like that. You know, I mean, I can't even call myself having that fruit of goodness and God that when, you know, I see someone that's in need, I can teach. But if that person should start to stray or challenge me. Then there's a part of me that may come out and say, you see, you see, this is what I'm talking about. You know, this is why nobody wants to teach you. And that's the fleshly side of us. You see, but God will bring any sinner to the truth. He wants the gospel preached to every creature that they might find the truth. But I realize that if you don't preach this gospel in meekness, then I'm telling you, you're not going to do well in it. Because what will end up happening is you're going to be challenged. Questions are going to be asked. And if you don't have that pride eradicated from your life, that's what's going to stand up. Instead of recognizing there's someone here without understanding that needs to be saved. All these things are in humility. So look at what he said in verse nine. The meek will he guide in judgment and the meek will he teach his way. So why a lot of us in many cases can ask God for things, but be totally ignorant to the things of God is because we're not meek enough towards God. He says that the meek, God will judge, I mean, will show his judgment, or that God will even teach you how to judge a situation righteously. And he says the meek, he will teach his way. So see, in order to have the ways of God, you've got to be meek. And that's why the fruit of meekness is so important. We ask God for many things, but are we coming to him in a broken and contrite heart? Are we really desiring to learn the things of God? Or are we asking for some of these things because it sounds like the right thing to do? You see, many times we can ask God because it just seems like, well, that's what any Christian would ask for. But are you broken? Are you humble? Are you really seeking God? And that's one thing I loved about those guys in the past, those kings and those prophets and so many that would seek God's counsel, they would wrap themselves in sackcloth and ashes, look like bums, and lay there fasting and praying before God. That's true humility. When some people will say, well, how do you think I should pray? Should I pray walking around? Should I bow my head? Should I get on my knees? That depends on who you see yourself as before the Lord. Me personally, I like to be face down because I'm not even worthy enough to look at him i like to be on my knees before Him because I recognize Him as King of Kings. And that's something we've got to all recognize for ourselves. How you pray determines on who you see God as. How you pour out your heart to God determines in how you see God. But if you truly see Him as King of Kings, then you're going to reverence Him. You're going to wait on His counsel. You're going to seek Him with a pure heart. But you see, if you're not that individual and you got to the place where you think, God is just your buddy, then you'll talk to him on the phone just like you talk to anyone else. But that's not the way that we should come before God. God will only fill a pitcher when it is empty and thirsty and hungering after righteousness and seeking him. Now, you know, we all know what it is to be hungry. We all know what it is to be without. And you know how your body craves for that water or that food. That's how you're supposed to seek God. That's the way that we are supposed to come before God. Lord, fill me. Lord, whatever it is that you need me to do, let me do. Let me be right. Pardon my transgressions and my sin. That's meekness. And the meek are those that God will teach. So let me finish up. Let me go to verse 10. And it says, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O God, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So David never said, Lord, pardon me, iniquity, pardon my tongue, pardon my mouth. Yeah, he might have had psalms like this, but notice he says, Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. How many people even recognize that we're still sinners in some ways concerning God? that we need to be sanctified to the place of pulling every unrighteous piece out of us, that we can be like God. But some of us are holier than thou. I know I'm righteous. I'm a Christian, and I don't need to serve God any more than I choose to. That's not the way that this goes. You know, David says, my iniquities are great. And David was known as a man after God's own heart. Do we really want the heart of Jesus? Because you know, if you get it, where it's going to lead you, it's going to lead you on a selfless path before God, a fearless path, forsaken self, denying yourself and taking up your cross and preaching the gospel unto others. A lot of people will say that, but how many really want God? How many want the true ways of God? That's something for us to all think about. So he says, look at verse 12. He says, what man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. So you see, when you fear God, you're afraid to hurt God and you're afraid to be seen by God. OK, so that fear is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding, which would allow us to be meek. And it says that individual that feareth the Lord will God teach in the way that, uh, that he shall choose. Look at verse 13. His soul shall dwell at ease and his seed shall inherit the earth. So remember, this goes all the way back to verse nine, where it talks about the meek that he would guide. You guys have heard the Lord say, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, this is the type of people that will. Those who are humble, lowly, see God for what he is and desire God's ways, because those are the only people that will have the things of God. A proud individual. What does the Bible tell us? What did He say? God resists the proud, and He gives grace unto the humble. So let's move on. Anyway, um, I believe I'm at verse fourteen. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will shew them His covenant. What do you think? What do you think the secret of God is? Holy Ghost the Holy Ghost, because we couldn't understand God before having God's spirit. We were foreign to him in the New Testament. They call it the mystery of God, the riches of God, because that is the Holy Ghost, which teaches us all the ways of God. Remember what the Bible says uh, in uh, John 14, Jesus says, when the comforter will come. He will bring you into all truth and righteousness. Those things will he speak will be that which he hears and says, okay? I mean, and what God says. That's the Holy Ghost. Okay, so David was even speaking of a time long before his. I mean, I mean, he was guided by the Spirit, but the Spirit wasn't in him. You see what I'm saying? They might have had the Spirit, but they weren't able to do the things that, that we could do now that we have Christ. So you see, what we have is really a shame before God because those people didn't even have the Holy Ghost. All they had was commandments to keep. But then every now and then you had examples of like a Moses or like an, um, you know, Elijah or Isaiah or David. They had hearts that were close to being Christians, but they still couldn't be the embodiment of what it was because in many ways they still had their flesh governing them. God led them from the outside, but what the disciples had was God on the inside leading them and doing everything they did. You know, you might have seen some miracles performed in the Old Covenant, but notice you never saw the casting out of devils. You might have seen them do works to make demons kind of go away, but it was never with the authority of God. All of the New Testament prophecies or, or, or miracles in the Old were just about the same, except with the casting out of devils. Why? Because that was the time when God had had given man the authority to do such things, having that spirit within. Now, you know, these guys might have done miracles, but nobody did more miracles than Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, miracles were performed. Everywhere he went, there was no challenge for Jesus. I don't know how many people understand that. Jesus had no challenges. They might have come, but they were so easily knocked over and pushed down and thrown aside because of who he was. Like, like, like for example, Moses went to the Red Sea. Okay, and they realized that Pharaoh's men were coming. Moses had faith and the Lord had to tell Moses, stretch forth your staff. There was a child dead, remember in Elijah's time, you know, that his mother or her son died and Elijah had to pray to God and you know, God make this happen and do whatever. He prayed to God and the child came back to life. But Jesus was the first to exercise God within and without. Yes, Jesus gave thanks to God, Lord, hear my voice and hear my prayer. But then Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. You see what I'm saying? It's not like Elijah prayed and the child rose, but Jesus spoke the words of God. But everything, when people were sick, I mean, when it came to walking on water, to doing everything, Jesus didn't have any real challenges because he was one with the Father. That's important to understand. You never saw Jesus cornered by a bunch of men and he was helpless. Jesus walked in the authority of God. Mm-hmm. Remember when they tried to stone him and John 8? He was invisible. He made himself invisible and walked out through the midst of them and passed by. Yeah. So Jesus was different than all of the others. You know, and that's what's so awesome about him, because tonight we're talking about meekness. And one of the meekest of men was Moses. But we must have to understand that even Moses couldn't hold a torch to Jesus Christ. So you see, it's a disgrace before God for us to walk as we walk. When God has given us something that these guys longed and waited for, that's an embarrassment to the church. That means that we should be walking in God's fullness. But you know what the problem is? We love the world. The problem is, you know what keeps us from being meek? The pride of life. You know what keeps us from really staying down and doing what God wants? The lust of the flesh. Now, they might have had it in that day, but it was to a limit. But now you've got all these things at your fingertips. It's everywhere you go. So you see, it's a lot more difficult for a Christian today because the devil has got his demonic kingdom manifested and he's doing it even more. You see, the devil might have always owned the world since the fall of Adam, but he had limited power into the things that he can do. But now, man, he's got everything. He's feeding to your senses every day. And we've got to learn to be unplugged to follow God. That's something important to understand. Because we can't, this world will not allow you to be meek because of the pride of life. I want to be someone. I want to have all the right answers. I want to be the pastor's armor bearer so people can see my works in the church. Where's the humility? Where's the pastor that even preaches wrong that discovers that he's wrong and tells everyone he's wrong so that things can be right? Where's the humility in this? But people hang on to what the pastor say today as if he's God. You know, as if everything he says can't be challenged. But I guarantee you, even with me, I know I say some things occasionally wrong. and I'll come and address them. Why? Because my soul is at stake in this situation. Yeah. But where's the humility? And that's what's necessary for walking with God. Amen. So he says, um, I believe I'm in verse 15. He says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. You see how David sees himself before God? Now, he was only the king of Israel. But you see, this is how he saw himself as nothing before God. He says that I will ever keep my eyes unto you, Lord. Why? So you will get my feet out of the net. And you see, that's why the devil wants your eyes elsewhere, so he can snare you all day long. There are many of us claiming that we're Christian, but if you study our lives and you go through us, man, you don't realize you're bound from head to toe. You're bound from head to toe when you go into church, and you're bound from head to toe when you get out of church. Even when you're in the world, even with everything you do, you don't even realize you're snared. Because the Bible says whom the son, which is Jesus Christ, has set free is free indeed. That includes your lust. That includes the world. That includes your very own appetite and things that you want. A lot of people call to missionary to go overseas, but no fear of God, no humility. So they won't go. They fear man. They fear how they're going to be appeared um, before others in this life. And you see, that keeps people from doing what God says. But if you fear God, then you you want to do what God says. It should be more frightening for you to not answer the call than to worry about what's going to happen to you when you get there. So there's a huge detachment, and the only way we're going to have it is with the humility that God wants us to have. Jesus told them plain and simple, unless you see yourself as this little one over here, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What do little ones do? Hang on their parents for everything. Ask all sorts of questions. Dad, what is this? Mom, what is that? Mom, can you tuck me in? Dad, can you do this? Mom and dad, I'm hungry. You see, but this is the way that we're supposed to be towards God. Not infant-like in our minds and in terms of being arrested in our development, but understanding that God is your father jesus christ is your lord you have to hang on to them for everything but unless we are as little children we won't see the kingdom of god so you see why he says the meek shall see god that they shall inherit the earth because the meek understand that you need god in everything that you do yes sir i wanted to
0: share this on on that topic um it's gonna be i guess not really funny but the fact of the state that it's in. Um, so this little boy who lived in Nebraska had to go out and put one of his caps down. Mm-hmm. And so as he's going out there and doing this, he said, God spoke to him and told him, he says, you see how you feel whenever you put this cap down? He said, that's how I felt when Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And he called into a radio station to tell these people about mm-hmm. this. And he said, you know, He said, God understands what we're going through. Mm He said, we need to believe in him. And a 12-year-old boy Mm -hmm. felt convicted to call a radio station and talk to people over the radio about Jesus Christ. And how many of us, well, what happens if my boss hears it? And that's why we got to have the faith of the child. Mm -hmm. Because a child doesn't care. Mm -hmm. All they know is... Jesus Christ talked to me, and I need to tell people
1: about it. And you see, that's the garbage that Satan brought Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. You see, he made them grow up before it was time for them to grow up. And what happened? He gave them the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. But you see how that child, he's 12 years old. I'm sure the Lord gave him the number. Mm -hmm. Here, go in and call and tell people about me. A child will believe anything you tell them anything. If the story even fits good enough, a child will believe that what you're saying is true. But you see, this is what we're lacking today because we've got the devil in the other ear telling you, I don't know if that could be true. I don't know if God wants us to forsake the world. You know why? Because the devil is inside of you seeking what he can get in you here. That's where that comes from. That's why we don't believe God, because the devil has made life pretty good here for me. So I don't even want to imagine Walking away from that to serve God. Certainly that can't be love. That's not the God that I know. The God that I know would let me do whatever I wanted and I could just thank him for it. We've got a big misunderstanding of who God is. The devil wants to take away that meekness. Look at verse uh, uh, 17. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring down me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. So David says something interesting here in 17 when he mentions that his heart, the troubles of his heart are enlarged. You know, I don't know how a lot of Christians can walk around today and really feel good about themselves with everything that's going on in the world. I realize when God opens your eyes. There is this longing and this sorrow for meeting others and teaching people the word, reaching people with the gospel. When God opens your eyes to see what it is, man, your problems have just begun. I'm not talking about problems that you can't handle, but you begin to see the wickedness. You begin to see the hurts and the pains and the anguish of the things of God and the people of this world. So the pains of your heart become enlarged because you're like, you can't just walk by a homeless person anymore and to ease your conscience, give them a dollar. You know, there's a part of you, oh my God. I mean, and you're serious about this. Lord, why should anyone have to go through this? Lord, if this person, if they could just hear the gospel and hear the truth, there's a crying in your heart for the things of God, especially when you know God, see, the more saved you are, God even begins to show you even more sin inside of you. that you, oh man, this is, I gotta make this right. You can't just walk around in life like you used to and pay attention to certain sins that he's freed you from. The Holy Ghost begins to show you even more within. Oh God, I need you. God, I am nothing without you. God, how could I go before that meeting and say what I just said? That's not of your heart. Lord, make me right. Make me more like you. So you see, when God gives, God has never had one person working for him that did not have a dose of his heart. God wants you to feel what he feels so you can speak for him and do his works in righteousness. But in order to have God's heart and to learn of his ways, you need meekness. You really do. Because if you think you've got it, that's exactly how you're going to walk around. Right. Look at verse 19. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Uh, let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. You guys see that? Let integrity and uprightness pre- preserve me, for I wait on thee. What is Integrity integrity is the very thing that when you say you're going to do something, be about it, do it. That's important to have that, you see, because a lot of people don't know your word is your bond. I'm I'm talking about the righteous things. When you tell someone that you're going to do something, people look forward to you doing it. Because if you don't, now they can tell. Well, they may tell the truth some of the time, but not all the time. And you see, you don't want that, but uprightness. Your integrity is even your your, uh, reputation when you won't do foul and dirty business in the workplace. You see what I'm saying? You won't compromise your values with God for the sake of serving the world. That takes humility because you know what you say when you do that? God is bigger than everything that is in my life. It doesn't matter what the judge says. How does God see this thing? So you see, humility will always bring you to the place of recognizing God is everything and I am nothing. And neither is anything else in this world in comparison to him. But he says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. So notice he says he asked God to redeem Israel. This is the king of Israel speaking. And he's asking for God to redeem him and to, you know, remove all the troubles of it. This is a king that knows his authority is only by so far. My authority is in Christ. Jesus said, aside from me, you can do nothing. And we must understand that in order to walk with God and have his humility and meekness. You know, and a lot of people look at meekness today as weakness. Oh, you're meek, you're weak. You know why he didn't say anything? Because he was scared. You know why he didn't do this? Because he didn't know. Oh yeah, he knows that if he would have said something, I would have did this and that. How many times have you ever heard someone says, he's mistaken my kindness for weakness? You see, that's what meekness is all about. A lot of people look at meekness like you're weak. It's not that you're weak. You understand that some things are just not worth arguing over. They also understand that you don't know a whole lot. Okay, and this is not coming from a proud standpoint. But this is from recognizing that, all right, they said that. They don't understand. Perhaps I'll just go on and teach, and hopefully they get it. But you see, that's meekness. To not, not to shame somebody right in that moment. You don't know anything. Look at this. Look at what I'm showing. You see, that's not meekness. Meekness would be like, all right, man. So um, here's what you do. Just um, in your spare time, read Matthew 5. You know what I mean? Just, just read it, and tell me what you think of it. That's meekness, because you really can show that person up. But what do you gain from that? You see what I'm saying? Don't get me wrong. You tell people the truth. But if they want to go beyond that, all right, man. All right. You know, just let it be. So let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5, let's look at verse 16. You know, we go here for every um, part of this series because I want people to see what this is about concerning the fruit of meekness. pages are sticking together you know and that's the other thing that the Lord even shows like you guys haven't notice when somebody else might be up here teaching and you know we usually raise our hand because we want people to know you know that, that you got something that you want to add well you know I'm no different than anybody else I raise my hand too I write down notes too I do things like that what because, you know, anybody that believes that they've already learned, you know, that takes away from what God might want. We, we're we always in the process of learning. We're always going to be babes before the living God. That's just the way it is, yeah. you know, because that's the way that God can fill you is to know that you need him. You know, So that's important stuff. So this is Galatians 5. Let's look at verse 16. He says, this I say then. Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You ever notice when you fast and pray more, you have more humility before God? You automatically go to your knees more by nature, because your flesh is being weak, and this is the battle. Who keeps us from not wanting to be meek? The flesh. Because you see, ever since Adam sinned against God, man has thought to himself, I am my own God. The devil wasn't exactly lying when he said, you shall be as gods. He meant governing your whole life. They thought that he meant being like the God that we all have. You see, but the devil wanted them to think that too, so that they can go ahead and do it. But that was the pride that he pushed on them. So you see, uh, fasting and prayer is a type of humility because it shows us that we need to subdue our flesh to get stronger with God. We don't just come as we are, stay as we are, live as we are, and then we expect God to work with us. You've got to humble yourself because your flesh will always fight to be the dominant force in you. But you see, when when you fast, It's like all of a sudden you want to serve God because you're fighting against the flesh. So he says here in verse 17, he said, these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. You would normally serve self. Fasting and prayer with lowliness and meekness makes you want to do the things of God. You see what I'm saying? So you become more subdued in following God because you're dealing with the enemy of God, which is your flesh. Look at verse 18. But if ye be led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, um, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, uh, and heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, and revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before. As I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So we understand that if we let the works of the flesh manifest in our lives, that means that our flesh is way too strong. If we leave it that way, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's look at the fruit of the spirit. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such, there is no law. So what I want to do right now is look up the subject of meekness. You guys turn to Psalm 37, but I want to look up the uh, definition of meekness here so that everybody has the biblical understanding of the word. Today, they try and put words like kindness. Kindness is not meekness. Kindness may be a part of it. But meekness is is a fruit of the Spirit, okay? Kindness is a part of God, too, but meekness really shows, you know, your lowliness before God. Okay, so that's Galatians 5, and I believe it's in verse 23. And uh, it's G, the word is G4236, okay? This is meekness, and the word is uh, praotis, and it means gentleness, mildness, and meekness. And then it says, um, uh, let's see, used in certain parts, gentle, that is, humble, and meek. So it's really more about humbleness. And then the strong definition, it says gentleness, gentleness by implication, humility, and meekness. So you see, it's all about humility. How many times, man, and I, you know, It happens to us up here. We think we know something. We start preaching on it and someone gives you correction. Be proud of the correction. Not be proud, but, you know, accept the correction. Why? Because humility is good for the soul. It's good to humble yourself. That's why in the workplace, I'm kind of glad in some ways that the kids call me names and say things. That's helpful because after a while, if you receive enough insults, it doesn't bother you anymore. You still want them to do what they need to do. But if you, you know, jump on them and get mad and defend yourself, then I'm worried about me. I'm not worried about them. So you see, that's the important thing of meekness. It's a lowliness. The Hebrew actually tells you more of meekness than the Greek when it talks about lowliness and nature and things like that. The Hebrew is a, a, a much better definition of the word. All right. So he says, look at verse uh, 24. And they that are Christ, those who belong to Jesus, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So, as you can see, there are lusts of the flesh that will come against us. But those who belong to Jesus have crucified those things. They don't have any place in your life because our lives are supposed to be hid in Christ, as Colossians 3 says. So he says, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another and envying one another. You know, one of the best places to see humility is in marriages. You know, when you see both characters playing out the role that God tells them to, and there's no Jezebel spirit or there's no, you know, um, what do you call it? Abusive man trying to dominate the situation. It is humility to, to honor your wife as the weaker vessel. That's humility. You know, when you go and you take things from her, not, oh, well, you said it. Well, then you do it. No, but to really understand God's guidance and his government, that this is what God wants. All humility, even receiving correction from a child. There are so many parents today that call themselves Christians that can't stomach that at all. You show them in the Bible what it means, and they'll get mad at you for telling them, and then try and challenge and argue with you when they just read it themselves. What's lacking in that situation? Meekness. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? That was pretty good. Good for you. No, they'd rather stand up. No child is going to be right over me and tell me anything. You see, that's what's lacking today. All right, let's go to Psalm 37. And let's begin in verse 1. If anybody wants to add anything, you can. Man, that's good. When you get corrected before everybody. And you're kind of embarrassed because you thought you knew, but you don't know. You know, good for us. Good that we get to be shown ministers are not perfect. Pastors are not perfect. There was parents are not perfect. There was nobody perfect but Jesus. All right. So this is Psalm um, 37. Let's look at verse one. Look at what the Lord says or David says through the Lord. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Now, we just read back in Galatians 5 that envying is a fruit of the, a, um, of, it's a work of the flesh. So he says, fret not yourself over evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. It says, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So you see, that's a promise from God. When people are evil towards you, you really don't have to defend yourself. That's all part of meekness. I told you, hey, this is the way to go. They choose not to. Okay, there's nothing you can do about that. It's all up to them now. If there are two paths in front of us and you got someone driving up the road and you're standing there and you tell them, hey, if you go to your left, it's a dead end. Okay, you know, it's a dead end. It's a cliff. You want to go right. And if they say, oh, I've been this way before, I know. And if they go, that's on them now. What are you going to do, stand in front of the car? But you see, that person will get humbled when they go the wrong way and realize, man, they were sure right. It wasn't that. (laughs) Now I'm going to turn around and go back. So you see, that's important that we have that type of humility. But let me continue. So he says, these people, don't fret over them. They're going to be cut down as the green herb and wither away. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. You see, that's another thing we've got backwards today. We want the desires of our heart first, and we want God to be okay with whatever the desires in our heart are, and then we want to, you know, then we want to delight in him. You know how many times God has called some people to ministry and the devil gave them a gift and they thought it was from God because it fed their beastly nature. You know how many times in ministry God might have said, Okay, I want you to do this. Okay, you're home now. This is where I want you to learn and what to do. And you know the devil will come along with a job offer, but it can only be done on Sundays. That you can make this kind of money and people never put two and two together when i was out there sinning the devil didn't give me anything now that jesus has brought me to him they believe that that gift came from the lord well why would the lord bring you to ministry why would he bring you to the place of learning if he meant to take you away from it five minutes later you see what does that pride Well, God must be for this. The devil knows how to entice us to get to listen to him. But we got to start putting two and two together. If I just got saved and the Lord brought me in a place to learn, and then the devil tells you, or you end up with a job offer making $100,000 a year, and then, then, you know, Sundays are one of the days you're going to have to work. Did that really come from God? Are we even taking that time enough to even pray about it and begin to question it? hundred thousand dollars got to be from the Lord you better check the spirit to make sure you know these things exactly. you see it all the time how many people have come and sat up in here learning the word and the devil gave them a better offer and they took off and now you see them they're not even serving the Lord or even close to him how do people fall for the game I had offers myself to do a lot of things there were a lot of offers I could have had being on a radio show and doing this and that. But they want you to forsake Jesus. Hey, don't talk about this and don't talk about that. Well, I'm sorry, guys. Y'all got the wrong one. OK, because I'm going to be faithful to the call of God. That's what this is about. So he says, delight thyself also with the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So all you've got to do is delight in God. God knows you want a wife or a husband. God knows you want children. He knows you want riches. God knows all this stuff. Delight yourself in Him and His desires will bring forth in you. That's what this is about. You don't see any fruit growing any vines or trees. The fruit come off the tree. We've got to be a part of the true vine, which is Christ. Delight in Him and He'll bring forth fruit. You don't see no branches bringing forth trees. You see trees bringing forth branches. Anyway, let me make the point. Verse five, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. And that's a beautiful, look at verse five again. Commit thy way unto the Lord. What does that mean? Commit your life unto God. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. Do we really trust God? You know, let me continue. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. All we've got to do is commit, you know, but very few people that they're we're lukewarm today. We're running here and running there. We want to be a part of God here. We want to be, you know, in the world there. But have we ever really committed to God? I'm going to work what you tell me to work. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. That's all humility. So look at verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. So you've got to trust in the Lord. Look at verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So you see, when you wait on God, you'll have the goodness of God. Verse and look at the um the children of um in the wilderness, the children of Israel. Those who were able to wait on the on God like Caleb, they received the blessings of God. Those who wanted their reward now in their own freedom in their own lives. They died in the wilderness, you see? And we don't want to end up dying in our wilderness, in our soul. We need to give it to God so that we can reap the promises. Okay, so let's look at verse 10. But yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be yea. Thou shalt diligently uh, consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So you see those who are not of god they'll go their own way but that's what caleb was trying to tell the people in numbers 14. he says man in numbers 13 too we are well able to overcome these giants man, if we trust in god and god delight in us did he not say that what does it say those who delight themselves in the lord will reap the benefits of god caleb said if god be with us and delight in us, then man, these giants are bread for us. Why are we worried about them if we've got God? Mm -hmm. But you see, as we did that teaching the giants in the wilderness, what giants are ours? Jobs, career, marriage, money. You see what I'm saying? Success, overall fame. Those can be the giants in the land that can be keeping us from having our meekness to reap the promises of God. Why must we think that the devil is the only one that can give someone something? You know, God gives with abundance, and when God gives it, there is no debt to pay for it. When God gives you it, it's because he means for you to do his will with it. He wants you to prosper, but the devil, he deals in credit. You'll have fun now, but you pay later. That's the way the devil is. The devil amusement park is free. The world, man, come on in. Do everything that you need to do. Oh, you want college and you can't afford it? Don't worry about it. We'll take care of you. We'll pay for your college for you. Because after all, we're equal opportunity employers, okay? We want you to make it. Oh, and by the way, that's going to cost you about $500,000 after you graduate. And um, yeah, you probably, it's going to cost you about 10, 15 years to pay it off. but. Don't say I didn't warn you. You know, that's the way it's got to be. But that's how the devil uses you. You think God would give you education for the simple fact of making you pay it back? Education is supposed to be for one's benefit. What benefit is there to be in debt for $500,000? Come on, man. This is the devil's kingdom. And all it does when you get done with it is make you proud. Make you not even believe in the Bible no more because you think you've got some good knowledge. Man, this world will make you proud. You stay with God. He'll keep you humble. And that's what this is about, to have God and not the world. So the meek will inherit the earth. That is the promise of God. So let's move on. We're going to jump right into the lesson right now. Let's go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
0: And for all that education, you're not even guaranteed a job anymore. No. You're $500,000 in debt for whatever degree you have, and there's no guarantee that it's going to get you anything. And that's also a delusion that people have today. Oh, mm-hmm. i got to go to college and this and that and the other for mm-hmm. this. But on what guarantee? On who says so?
1: You see, and that's the unfortunate thing about this life, because Paul says that he gave up everything that he may win Christ. He counted all that education knowledge as garbage, that he may win Christ. I'm not telling people don't get an education, but what I am going to say is, don't you buy into this garbage. You better know God. But, you know, Jesus never told us, go get a good education. Can you find that anywhere in this Bible? You know how people were educated in the past? Reading the word of God. This was your education back then. Usually you did what your father did. If your dad was a farmer, that's where you worked. If your your parents were carpenters, that's what you did for a living. But you see, there was no such thing as education pushed. Some people would say he went to church. Yeah, he went to learn this in the synagogue. Not that Jesus needed to know it. He's the living word. But this was the education of man. This is education everything else is indoctrination i'm not saying don't learn about math because you see the bible god uses math math is important you know science in some ways is questionable because god created all you want my answer to science how was everything made god made it there's your answer but you see when you this is education why because education means for one's benefit but you see when it's programming it's for the benefit of the whole it's for the benefit of what they want you to think and how they want you to be. But this is for your benefit because it also it sustains you in this life and even the one to come. People better understand this Bible will teach you how to live, that you can be prosperous. The Bible makes this clear and anyone that's ever followed it has been prosperous. But this world will tell you, no, you need to do this. You need to get a degree. You need to have all this and that. And all that makes you is a proud sinner. All it makes you is a proud enemy of God because you start to think these things are important. I'm not telling kids don't go to school, get your education. But this was the first education and everything sprang forth from this. This teaches you about your creator so you don't have to fall in line with the foolishness and theories that they have in this world. The first math problems that ever worked out were the ones that God gave Noah and how to build the ark. Okay, this is how these things were done. I'm not against math, and I'm not against growing and learning. But you better understand that if you buy into that garbage, it'll make you proud. There'll be no meekness, and you will begin to challenge the word of God with this. And I know some people will say, how can you speak against college and all that in school? I'm speaking against it, because it's promoted more enemies of God than, than anything a lot of people, you know how many people went to church, you know, um, all their lives loving and knowing Jesus, didn't hear from some lying professor or scientist telling them all kinds of garbage that they don't even believe the word of God. When it comes time to be thankful to God, they're thankful to the world and all the expensive trash and garbage that you can get here. I'm speaking against it. Yes, it may have some benefit, but overall, it fights against God. And that's the thing that they don't want you to know. Where did cessationism and all that other mess come from? From seminary, from all that garbage. Oh, the gifts of the Holy Ghost are seized. Who says that? But you see, if you trust in man, you'll automatically fall away from God. So I speak against a lot of this stuff. God didn't tell us, you need to do this, you need to go here. You grew up doing what your parents did, but this was your government. This was your word. This was all you needed to sustain and make it in this life. Mm -hmm. This was it. But you see, the devil came up with some schemes. We're going to educate you and we're going to teach you more. Why? I'm not ignorant. For the things that need to be known, God taught man what to do and how to do it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And see, and that's the biggest thing. If I'm educated, even though I might know this, then that means I was ignorant before. No, anyone that doesn't know God or His Word is ignorant. And that's why you got people, even with degrees, blowing their brains out today, okay, because they they want suicide. I mean, they they're hey, my life is still bad, even with all the success, even with all I have. I thought I was gonna be a famous star, and my life has gone to nothing. You know why? You're missing that void in knowing your creator, and that's why any man that will acknowledge that he has a God to serve, that's meekness. But any man that will tell you that there is no God, the Bible says only a fool would say that. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. What do they teach you in the education system? There is no God. You evolved from a monkey six million years ago. You were some slime billions of years ago that washed up on the beach and it was struck by lightning. And all of a sudden it has life. And then it began to reproduce and it began to eat. And, and there was oxygen there, too. All that stuff just worked out. You know, you find another life. You can't see, you can't hear, you can't smell, taste, or touch, but there you are, you know, mixing and, and, and developing. I mean, who's going to believe that? This thing eventually said, I need eyes, so now I can see. And, you know, by the way, I think two ears, one on the right and the other on the left, would be helpful. And, you know, this is garbage. But you see, this is what they can make you believe. It sounds good, but compared to the word of God, it's nothing because God tells us so that we won't be ignorant. The one who doesn't believe in God is ignorant because he's not even aware of all that God has done, including make him get me started on this stuff, man, with education and everything else, because this is the type of garbage that they teach you. And they make you pay for it. You pay all that money to go and learn lies. And then you stand there proud as if you know something. Lord, forgive me, man, but woo. Let's go to Numbers 12. Let's look at verse one. Numbers 12 and one, and it says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So there's racism in the midst right here. You see how this is going on, though? They're mad at him for that. Meanwhile, they were serving the Egyptians, and they didn't care. But now they're mad at Moses because he's got an Ethiopian wife. Look at verse 2. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. So now Miriam and and, uh, Aaron, all of a sudden, they want to be somebody. Aaron was just a mouthpiece of Moses. God didn't even deal with Aaron. Okay, Aaron was made a high priest, but that was because they were of the Levite tribes. But Moses is hearing from God all this time. God's taking them from every situation that they're in and using Moses to lead them. Now, because he married an Ethiopian woman, you got Miriam and Aaron both wanting to be somebody. And then they both talk about, does God talk to just Moses alone? Doesn't he talk to you and I as well? And it says the Lord heard them. So what you see here is somebody's overstepping their bounds. Somebody has forgotten the order that God gave them. This is easy to do when we won't allow God's meekness to work with you. Whoever Moses married is Moses' business. Obviously, God allowed it because if he wanted to, he would have stopped it. But now they're trying to overthrow the authority that God has given Well, someone's forgotten all about this. So look at verse three. Now, the man, Moses, was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So Moses was the meekest of men that was on the earth before the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, there was none meeker than Jesus. No one could bear that cross and do what he did for a bunch of sinners and obeying his father, even unto his own death, if he didn't have meekness. OK, so Moses was meek. Look at verse four. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. Come out, ye three, <laughs> unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. So the Lord is like, "Uh-uh, I've got to get this right. But see, that's what it means to be a meek person, to have God fight your battles for you. Moses didn't defend himself. Moses remained quiet. The Lord heard what was said and said, you three, come out of that, (laughs) come out of that tabernacle right now. You know, we're going to get this thing right. Or out of the congregation, look at verse five. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. So you notice Moses is out of this. The three might have come out, but Moses has got nothing to do with this. God is going to address this situation himself. Okay, look at verse uh, six. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. So the Lord said, okay, if I've got something to say, I'm going to let these people know. So he was making it very clear. If I wanted to address you with some truth or something you needed to speak about, I'm going to tell you in a vision or in a dream. Verse seven, my servant Moses is not so who was faithful in all mine house. So the Lord made it very clear. Moses was not like anybody else. And the Bible even says that Moses was different than anybody that came before him. Because Moses spoke to the Lord face to face, so Moses had that comfort in the Lord. He didn't need to defend himself. Miriam and um, and um, Aaron—they're like trying to cause a you know riot or you know trying to overthrow Moses. And the Lord said, "My servant Moses is faithful to me, so they better back up." Look at verse eight. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the multitude of the Lord shall he behold? Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the Lord is saying, I sent Moses to do what I'm telling you. You guys might have heard of what prophets do, but it ain't that way with me and Moses. Moses and I are free. Moses speaks to me face to face, and I don't give him parables. I tell Moses what he needs to know. Okay, so Moses had a special place with God. And then God turns to Miriam and Aaron who forgot their manners. He told them, and you guys got the guts to speak up against Moses, my servant. You guys are not afraid to come before me or or to say what you're saying about him. If you're talking to Moses, you're talking to me. That's pretty much what God is telling them. Mm -hmm. Man, so you see, you don't want to lose your meekness with God. Look at verse nine. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And a cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. You know, so that's crazy that she was that, you know, he struck her with leprosy. Why? Because he wanted them to know that this needs to be made right. If you notice he didn't touch Aaron. So I got the impression that maybe Aaron you know, um, Miriam sparked the whole thing up. You know, that could have been, but he didn't do anything to Aaron, because Aaron at this point was already a priest for the Lord. But you know, he, he gave Aaron a break, but Miriam, he went after immediately, who gave you the right to speak or to say anything? This makes you wonder why the Lord may say later on, remember when Paul was talking to Timothy, I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. It went all the way back to Adam and Eve. So God is kind of seeing this spirit springing up again. This needs to be dealt with. But I always wonder why he never touched Aaron. All right, look at verse 11. And Aaron said unto Moses, at last, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly and wherein we have sinned. I think we just got our answer. You know, he was more (laughs) humble. His meekness came back upon him and just said, Lord, lay this not to us. Let me be right with you. But that's what this is about. Don't make God have to come out and deal with a situation. When we're not meek before God, that'll allow God to want to deal with you and humble you. Jesus says, If you fall on me, you'll be broken. But if I fall on you, I will grind you to powder. You want to fall on Jesus and be broken so he can fix you. But if you've got to walk around with a swell head and full of pride, if he comes sees you, it's not gonna be pretty. He's going to break you down to the lowest possible denominator that you may understand that God is God. Don't ever make God have to come see you. Be meek and humble before him, one, because he's good, two, because he's worthy, and three, because if he ever raises up, there's no one that can stop him. Be humble before God, because they will inherit the kingdom of God. All right, let's move on. Let's see. He gave in. All right, let's look at, uh, well, actually, we should just read this last part. Look at verse 12. He said, let her not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses, look at what Moses did. He cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. You know how many of us, this is a type of meekness here. Because you see, Moses didn't say, Well, Lord, what you do is right. They deserved it. You see, they were conspiring against me. Moses had enough lowliness in him and say, Lord, you know, Lord, please heal her, set her free. That's love. You see what I'm saying? That's why God chose Moses as a leader. Moses was more like God than any of them, Mm -hmm. because you see, Miriam and Aaron, if it would have happened to Moses, they probably would have said, well, God wanted us to speak. That's why Moses took it upon himself to be special. But you see, that's not the heart of any leader of God. Moses is asking God to free his sister. Verse 14, and the Lord said unto Moses, if her father had put spit in her face, she should not be ashamed seven days. Then he says, let her be shut out from the camp seven days. And after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days. And the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people removed from uh, Hezeroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. So you see, when God's got to deal with something, he'll deal with it but God wanted Miriam to learn her place. Aaron got right back in line once he saw what happened to her. But Miriam, imagine being humiliated to the point where you're out there seven days and you know when you're leprous in those days that you can't be near people. You've got to tell people, I'm unclean. You've got to do that so people will stay away from you. So she was humiliated seven days and then God let her come back into the camp after she was clean. You don't ever wanna get out of pocket with God Cause he'll put you back in line. Mm-hmm. That's what God intends to do to every hard-headed person. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to Luke uh, 18. Let's look at some more humility. Luke 18, and let's begin at verse 9. Well, a lot of times I thought I knew something, especially when we got started in the ministry. I thought I studied well. I knew this and I knew that. And I remember one day, And then Sarah actually witnessed this. I think we were at Martin and Laura's house and I was just so excited to preach the word and I got ready to open my mouth and almost nothing came out. I was babbling. I was saying things and I was like, "Um," because, you know, like the Lord, he um, and Sarah was wondering, like, what was wrong with me? You know what the Lord told me? You're too proud. You better humble yourself before me, before you decide to go and minister to anyone else. But the Lord said, okay, you think you've got it without me? Go up there and see what comes out. My mind was blank. And then I remember, I think it was Martin's sister, um, Sue, that said something. Um, And whatever she said, it was like the spirit came back. And the Lord allowed me to answer the question. But before that point, everybody was just sitting there listening. And I was drowning fast. I was like, oh, man, I don't know. But it was almost like when she asked that question, the Lord said, okay, you can answer it. And from that point on, it was like his spirit came back on me and I was able to teach. But before that point, man, I went blank because that's what God had to teach me. You got nothing up here unless I give it to you. That was a lesson well learned. Now I pray before every little moment I come up here, you wanna make sure you are right with God because aside from God, You've got nothing. All right. So this is Luke 18. Let's look at verse nine. And it says, and he spoke this parable. This is Jesus. Okay. Unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So you see what this parable is for? For those who have trusted in themselves and their righteousness of themselves. And it says, and despised others. Okay, so this is a category for those who were not meek. Look at verse 10. Two men went up into a temple, into the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a publican. So they're both sinners here, you may as well say. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are uh, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican, I fast twice a week, (laughs) twice in a week, I give tithes to all that I possess, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smoke uh, upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. So, by the way, the publican actually heard what the Pharisee said. Okay? And the thing is, as the Pharisee here is talking about, Lord, you know, um, help me. He's praying to God. But, Lord, I fast twice a week. Okay? And I pay my tithes. And thank you, God, that I am not an adulterer. I'm not a fornicator. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a publican, or even like this individual over here. Thank you, God, my life could be so much worse, but thank you, God, that I'm not as one of them. My question to this man is, what was the point of even praying before God? Because according to you, you've got it. Yeah. You're a good man according to your righteousness. So Jesus brought this point, and all the other guy can do, he couldn't even look up. You see, godly sorrow brings forth repentance. This guy couldn't even look up, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He tuned out all that garbage that this other man was saying. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he knew. Let's look at this. So he says in verse fourteen, "I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." So you see, that man went back to his home justified. What need of God to help him? This man has helped himself. So you don't want to be that individual. At many times, we can pray this way. We can say in our own hearts, God, just help me do certain things. How about God crack open this vessel and see what's really in there so that I can be made right with you? Lord, if you've got to destroy it, destroy it and build it up again. Jesus said, I can tear down this temple in three days and rebuild it. He didn't say, I can only take off the roof. You know, I can only work on the foundation, but everything else will remain intact. He says, I will tear down this temple in three days and build it up again. We have to be born again. He didn't say experience the last 15 years of our lives again. He says, be born again, mean going back to the womb as knowing nothing and growing in Christ. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. So if you exalt yourself, You'll be abased. But if you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. And that's what God wants for us. The way to God's kingdom is down. That's the way God works with us. And they brought unto him also infants that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. So the disciples are religious here. they don't want any kids around Jesus crying and slobbering and doing everything else. Don't you see, guys, that this is an important man? We don't have time for you and your kids and everything. This is how they were addressing the situation. You know, and look at Jesus. But Jesus called unto them, unto him, and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. So you see, that's important that we get this because he, he said before, unless we're little children, we won't see the kingdom. You know how many parents hide their kids from the gospel? Because they don't want their kids knowing about heaven and hell, you see, that's pride. That's someone that is taking it upon themselves. Yeah, this is good enough for me, but this is not good enough for my kids. That's garbage. When I was a kid, I heard of hell at a very early age. They used to sing this song, and my sister, know I'm not lying. That will say, you know, what you gonna do when the world's on fire? Where you gonna run? You can't hide from God. That was a song sang in my church. And I'm sitting there with both eyes popped out of my head, imagining, wait a minute, when is this thing going to be on fire? But see, it taught us the fear of the Lord at an early age. Our pastors preach fire and brimstone, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what we need. What's good enough for you is good enough for your child that they may walk in the ways of God. Thank you, Jesus. So anyway, he says, verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So here's another proud individual. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery. Now notice, Jesus told the man here, Thou knowest the commandments. That's why it's good to read every single one of these stories, because Jesus is pretty much telling this man, don't ask me something you already know, man. You know, Jesus knew what was in this guy's heart. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, "Thou do know it's the commandments. He's telling them straight up, and he's going to repeat them to them, to them again, or to him again. And he says, um, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing, uh, sell all that thou hast and distribute uh, unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So Jesus said, you lacking something here, man. You know, now that you know all this, you need to sell everything you have so that you can be perfect and follow after me. Now, let's look at this in 23. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus say, I mean, saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Because you know why? They're too proud. It's the pride of life that keeps us from going onto our knees and reverencing God as he is. You see where pride comes in? Even a meek person will get rid of the things that God tells him to so that he can walk with God. But you see, if you don't do this, there's some pride there. That means, Lord, I heard your instruction, but I'm going to do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And surely you'll understand. After all, you are good. Man, you better hang on to every word that God says. Mm -hmm. But this is the lack of meekness here. He didn't say, you know what, Lord, you're right. And if I really want eternal life, if I'm really interested in eternal life, I would have heard what you said and just got rid of it. But you see, they're not that interested in eternal life. That's why they fight to keep the things that they have. That's why Jesus said, man, you know the commandments. You know, stop playing. So anyway, look at verse um, 25. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which, uh, the things which are impossible with men are impossible. Uh, the things that are impossible for men are possible with God. So you see, you've got to hang on God if you want to make it in. You can't hang on the things of men. You got to hang on the things of God. He said, with men, this is impossible. Why? Because man is going to stake his own claim and then think that God should be okay with it. That's pride. That's not humility. That's not meekness. But he says, with God, all things are possible. So we need God to make it into eternal life. We can't separate God from our worldly lives. We've got to add him into it and let him govern it so that we can walk with him. You know, God is not just somebody that you use when you need him. He is an ever-present help in your time of need. But only those who are humble and meek will understand that they need the Lord. Yep. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's go to uh let's go to Philippians two. Philippians chapter two. Thank you, Lord. Philippians chapter two, let's look at verse one. And he says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through strife. That's a what's a work of the flesh and vain glory. What is that? A work of the flesh. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So you see, this is that meekness. This is that humility and lowliness of mind, esteeming your brothers more than yourself. This is the way it's supposed to be. We're even supposed to care as much. This is the love of God. We're even supposed to be to a place that if we had an enemy that was homeless, that had nothing to eat, you just went to the store. OK, and spent your last on getting something to eat for you. If he was in need, God would tell you to give it to him. Now, we've got to obey the spirit, but God would even tell you, man, you eat enough. You know, you can eat tomorrow. You'll be all right. Give it to him. But you see, that's the love of God. That's humility to go before your enemy and do this. The one that would look at you like, you know, yeah, man, you know, you better give it to me. You might have to even take that humility and give to them. But this is the type of mind. You're doing it out of love of God. You see what I'm saying? And love for them. Even if this is your enemy. Someone that might have bruised you or hurt you or did something to you, betrayed you. This is humility to walk in that type of mindset to see to it that this person has something to eat. So it says look at verse four look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others let this mind be in you which was also in christ jesus as we talked about before jesus never lived one day for himself he never paid attention to his own life all jesus did was sanctify himself daily to go and preach the gospel and meet the needs of others a selfless life So he says, let that mind be in you, because that's what was in Christ. Verse six, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So you see, Jesus is God. Jesus is God, the son. He's not God, the father. But he walked in that equality where he could have come down to earth and said, hey, guys, I am God. But he didn't do that. He said it's not robbery that he would be made equal with God. And some people will say, well, Jesus said there is nothing good but God. You got to understand where Jesus was coming from. This man wasn't good that was asking about this stuff. This man wanted to outwardly appear to be good. So Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's nothing good but one, and that is God. But Jesus said, if you will be made perfect, you know, um, sell everything you have and follow me. So Jesus is telling them how to be perfect, how to be right. But if God the Father is divine and perfect by nature, and he has a son, how is his son that that came forth from him any less divine than he is? If we have children, your children's not going to come out part human and part something else. That child will be the epitome or the embodiment of what you bring forth. Okay, so it's just like cats begat cats. Dogs begat dogs. God begat God, okay, and brought him in the flesh to do the will of God. Jesus was also God. That's why he could forgive sin. That's why people kneeled down and bowed to him when even angels were not even allowed to receive that kind of worship. Remember, you go down to an angel, the angel would tell you, do it not, because I'm just a fellow servant too. Worship God. Jesus never told anybody when they bowed down to him, Oh, don't bow to me, give it to the Father. Jesus received the worship, one, because he was worthy, two, because he was God. And that was the glory of God to have his own son be worshiped. How many times did Jesus say in this Bible that if you love me, my Father will love you, and we not just not just him will make our abode in you. That tells you right there that Jesus Christ is God, God the Father, God the Son god the holy ghost Mm -hmm. verse 7 but made himself of no reputation jesus made himself of no reputation and then it says and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. So do we understand what's being said here? That Jesus was and is God. He made himself of no reputation and came in the form as a servant. Okay, this was the way he came and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So what does that mean? He became obedient. He always was. But when he became a man, that flesh had to be dealt with. He had to fight against that nature to do the will of his father. That's the same battle that you and I have today. We've got to fight through this flesh to be humble because the flesh ain't going to be humble to anybody. God wants you to be humble. So Jesus made himself obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Unto death, meaning his own fleshly death, like, you know, like the appetite. That's why he fasted for 40 days. And even unto the death of the cross. Can you imagine having the power to set yourself free at any time? He could have spoken. He could have performed it. and He could have eradicated this earth. But in meekness and lowliness and humbleness before his father, he stayed there as a lamb and took the punishment. Imagine a slow death like that. That's the meekness of Jesus Christ, because while they spat on him, while they hammered his hands and his feet, when they put that crown of thorns upon his head and they mocked him and they said to him, you know, if you be God, then why don't you come down from this? Then they even mocked him and looked at him. One of the high priests and said, well, he said that he could, you know, tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days but he can't come down from that cross. Look at him. Can you imagine taking that from people that don't even want you for the sake of their children that they may be saved? That's, that's meekness and humility. Why didn't he destroy the sinners? Because there's a chance that their very children may get saved and find Christ. This is humility, you know, magnified. This is the only humility that is. It's God's humility. And here we are worried about our little reputation. Somebody said something. They're trying to take my position. Somebody's sitting on my seat at work. I can't believe he spoke before I had the chance to speak. Man, are you kidding me? This is garbage compared to humility, which is of God. Verse nine, wherefore God the father, that's what it means, God also highly exalted him, him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. We've got to learn to humble ourselves and give it to Jesus. Jesus said, remember when he came on the donkey? if the people didn't lay down their palms before him and worship him singing Hosanna, he said the very stones would cry out and praise Jesus. Man, the very stones know who he is and we walk around as if he owe us something. God owes me this, he owes me that. I've been good, God, where's my reward? Who says that you're good? Only God tells a man that he's good. But who tells us that we're good? I'm tired of being good. I'm always good. According to whom? But you see, what's that? To the flesh. According to the flesh, according to the life that we live. But only God is good. Amen. Jesus lowered himself, and the Father exalted him. So it says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have also or always obeyed, not as in my uh, presence only, but now much more in absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does that sound like? Does that sound like we can fool around and waste time? Mm-hmm. Work out your own salvation and fear and trembling. He didn't just say work it out with fear and love. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Man, that's humility before God. Trembling. You know what it is to tremble that means if you're doing something that's not right and you read it here in the word of god or you're confronted with the truth that should get you to the place of almost petrified like really really the bible says that and then you show them and they're like oh lord oh lord forgive me i want to make this right this is how we should be coming before god fear and trembling you know what a pastor some fake pastors will tell you today that's respect no, that's more than respect, buddy. That's fear and trembling.
0: Kind of be like uh, if your dad was a disciplinarian when we were kids, just like with my dad. Mm-hmm. If you did something wrong and you got caught, man, I was trembling because I knew who was about to you know, come that's upon right. me. But that fear is just like, oh, man, I know this is going to be a bad
1: thing. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Look at verse 13. For it is God... Which worketh in you both to will and to do, and of His good pleasure. So it's God that's working in you and I, both to will our will being His, and to do according to His pleasure. So we don't even count in this, and I want I want people to really understand this. Yes, we have a place with God. The Bible says, "Who is God? That who is man? That God is mindful of man." Okay, so we know that God has made us in his image and likeness, but he's doing things in us according to his pleasure. So who are we to even set up plans in our lives? Who are we to even decide what we want to do for a living? You see, this is the backwards mind that the world has given us. I choose and God will support. No, God chooses and he supports what he chooses according to his good pleasure. Jesus said, what profit is it in a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Lowliness and meekness, man. This is what it's about. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So you see that he makes clear that we live in a crooked and perverse nation. Okay, we live in a corrupt society. But he says that we should shine as lights and be like him and according to his righteousness. Mm -hmm. That's what this thing is about, because he doesn't want us to be blamed. He doesn't want us to be full of sin. He wants to remove these things that we may be a reflection of him. Colossians chapter three. Colossians 3, Colossians chapter 3, and let's look at verse 1. It was right next door, guys. He's teasing. Colossians 3, and let's look at verse 1. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are are dead and your life is hid in Christ, in God. I mean, with Christ, in God. So you see, our lives are supposed to be hid in Christ. I believe that's the biggest lie going on, that you can say, do, act, and be whatever you want to be. Okay, and God will find a place somehow in your life. That's the biggest lie going on. Our lives are hid in Christ. We don't even have a right to think outside of the will of God. We don't even have a right to pray outside of the will of God. We don't have a right to do what we want to do day in and day out, aside from the will of God. I know a lot of people don't like this, but you know why? Because they'll think that God is wrong. God is rude. God's way is not better than the way that I can choose. The Bible tells us to taste the Lord and see that he is good. When we all first heard the truth and we started out, there were some things that, I'm not going to lie, you would think, man, Lord, man, that sounds hard. Did you know why that was? Because I was an untrained beast, okay? I wasn't housebroken. I was living my life. I was doing what I wanted. But as God has become My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and my friend, and my counselor, and my everything, I see the benefits in waiting for him. I see the importance behind why I must seek him before I do anything. And that's what this is about, our lives being hid in Christ. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this situation. Lord, how do you think I should feel about this situation? That's what this is about. But you see, like when Anna the other day, yesterday, talked about that suicide is a sin, and then you had a whole bunch of people going according to their own feelings, speaking about it's not a sin, it's only a sin if you murder. Well, murder is for all. Murder is if you kill anything, and that includes yourself, it's against God. But these people were so overwhelmed and upset with the death of this 18-year-old that they began to sympathize with the mother and the family, then to understand that, yes, you know, it is sad that you lost your child, but sin is sin regardless of what. But these people stood up for suicide and said it's not a sin. Okay, so if it's not a sin, then what is it, a blessing? I wanna understand, is that something that God commanded us to do? You see, this is where we got to come to the reality of our lives ahead in Christ. Lord, be be merciful on my son because he was mentally ill and things happened. But God, it is a sin. It is no doubt a sin. You find pastors today so proud putting people, murderers, drug addicts, and everything else in heaven at a funeral when the truth of the matter is if you got shot robbing a liquor store, chances are you're in hell. And why is that beneficial to tell people that? So that people that are around won't get this false understanding of God and what eternal life is all about. That's humility to stand before people that are hurt and tell them that God says that if you do this thing, it's a sin that you can go to hell. That's humility before God. But people would rather be humble before men and forget about God. For And for those people that stood for suicide, They've got to stand before God one day because what they say could have been received by other people as in, well, it's not okay. I mean, it is okay if you kill yourself. Life gets too hard and you can't handle it anymore. Kill yourself. The Bible made clear. What would you say? When I said that's
0: what they said and God will accept you. Like they said, well, God must accept him with open heart. I was like, that's not
1: true. It's just that. Uh, you know. Suicide is a lack of faith in God. Okay. Suicide is no belief in Jesus or the kingdom of heaven. Now, how do you know this? Because if you kill yourself now and the Bible speaks against no murderer will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it says in uh, first Corinthians chapter six, we are bought with a price. You are not your own. What part of that do you want? Not understand. You are not your own enough to take your own life. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, which is against God, because if you stay in God, God will bring things to pass in your life. There is no excuse for suicide, and I want people to know that right now, and I don't care who doesn't like it. You don't belong to you. Your life is hid in Christ, and, and that, that means that you don't even have the, the power in you to do whatever you want, you've got to come before God to make that right. Amen. You don't like it? I don't care if you don't like it. Look at verse 4. And it says, We are dead, and our lives are hid in Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So you see, if you're a child of disobedience, that means you're not meek and humble before your Father and Lord and Savior. God's wrath comes upon them. We better learn to walk with God and be in that place. In the which he also some sometime, when ye lived in them. Now we can all say amen to that, because we were that way. In many ways, we're still that way, children of disobedience, that God is teaching us every day to walk closer to Him and be more humble. So it says, look at verse 7: In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these: anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Filthy the communic- filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with the deeds and with and have put on the new man, which is renewed and knowledge after the image of him that created him. And that's why, you know, I'm not trying to be insensitive, my heart and prayers go out to that family that lost their kid, you know, yesterday or, or whenever that that situation happened but we must understand that God is everything to us. We don't have a right of ourselves, okay? And it's not being insensitive to people's feelings. You're trying to keep people out of hell. You're trying to tell everybody what went down is not okay, okay? And if, I mean, if stealing or lying is a sin, how can suicide not? If walking around in pride is a sin, how can suicide not be? That's foolishness of us to even think that. You know, Lord, forgive me, but I'm, I'm going to do a teaching on that spirit too, because that's a lying spirit that tries to get people to be depressed, go into despair, and the next thing you know, they kill themselves. But we're here to tell people about the life of Christ that suicide is not an option. It's not okay with God, and it shouldn't be okay with you, because our God is always in control. Suicide is a demon. Okay, and that's what we've got to learn to pray against and deal with. Anyway, it says in verse uh, 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So you see, all things are in Christ. And that's why he calls sinners to repent. God wants us to be right. Whenever we start thinking, what does uh, Paul say in First Corinthians chapter ten? If any man think he standeth, let him take heed. I mean, let him take heed. What? Let him take heed lest he
0: fall.
1: Right. If any man think he stand, take heed lest he fall. And that's what we got to understand. You have never got this thing figured out. You've got to stay with Jesus until the end of your race. Him that endureth unto the end shall be saved. But for those people that think they got it and they know it, you're going to find out that you don't know much. There were many times in my life I walked ahead of God and I paid a, a real price for it. But it was his love that he didn't allow me to suffer what I deserved. He counseled me and brought me back on track. But he first had to show me who was boss. But you see, when you got the fruit of meekness, you don't have to be beaten with a whip to obey. Okay, you do it because it's by nature. You want to do what God says. You love God. Okay, you want to serve him. It is unnatural for a man to not be meek before God because the first man knew that God was his creator. You see, that's something that the world tries to make us absent from today. A little humility. We need a lot of it. Humility is good for the soul. Let's go to John 13 and let's look at verse 1. I think I'm going to conclude in a minute. Thank you, Jesus. This is John 13. And let's look at verse 1. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of, this, out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, uh, which were in the world. He loved them unto the end. So you see, Jesus loved them regardless from the day he met them, even before he knew them, because he's God. But he loved them even unto the finish of his life. Look at verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. See, now, for, in order for the devil to do that to Judas, you would have to think to yourself that Judas didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. You would have to believe that. Judas said, you know, he probably wanted, okay, he's a good man, and it, it's very possible he's the son of God, but I could still get a little, more, a little bit more riches, and then I could probably repent afterwards and everything will be fine. This was the thinking of Judas, that money and God were equal. What there's no difference. Jesus preached about, you know, eternal life and all these things. But I mean, I can get 30 pieces of silver too. what? I don't see the problem with this. You see, so while Judas was greedy and still seeking his own, stealing from the money bag while he was with Jesus, he wasn't even humble enough to know if he's a son of God, he's got to know I'm stealing. He's got to know what I'm doing is wrong. But you see, self-seeking people can never humble themselves before God, because they have bought into the lie of the serpent, ye shall be as gods. Mm -hmm. That's something to think about. So look at uh, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, uh, but thou shalt know hereafter. So that's important because Jesus was humbling himself to the place of washing his disciples' feet, and Peter didn't understand it. So the Lord says, what I'm doing with you now, you don't understand, but you will afterwards. Why? Because when the Spirit comes, they would be partakers of the very nature that Jesus walked in, that fruit of meekness. Look at verse uh, 8. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. So Jesus is showing them humility. Peter, you better learn and take a good feet washing because you're not going to be with me if you don't. I know Peter was thinking highly of the Lord, but what the Lord was teaching them was humbleness. Now, if Peter would have said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. You're too good. And, and the Lord would have obeyed them and not did it and say, you know what? I am above this. What would have happened? think about it. Jesus would have been acting in pride. Mm-hmm. Jesus would have been acting in self-serving. Yeah, I am above this. If there was no job to above God, how can it be above us? You think about that. If the king of glory can wash feet, who are we to not do it to others? Now, some people would say, well, this is what we're supposed to do, but people didn't really understand about feet washing. That was the culture of that time. They wore sandals. They walked in the desert. But this is showing how low humility should be. You see what I'm saying? We should be out there washing homeless people's feet. This is what this is about. That's the humility he's speaking of. He's not saying to come in here with a rag and wash everybody's feet. We all wash our own feet. Okay, so that in some ways would be a waste of time. What he's trying to teach you is humility. What is it that you can do for your brother? What is it that God may call you to do that might even be lower than that? This is what he's talking about. Anyway, but there's nothing wrong if anybody wants to wash somebody's feet. Okay? That's not, there's nothing against that. But the point being made here is this is about humility. This is what he's bringing forward. So he said if he doesn't do it, that they, um... You'll have no part with me. So look at verse nine. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed needeth not save uh, to wash his feet, but, his, but is clean uh, every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. So Jesus was making clear here. He was keeping Peter in the middle of the road. Now Peter said, all right, well, not just my feet, everything else. He said, no, if you're clean, it's not about washing that. Washing feet was a sign of humility. He didn't give them showers. He washed feet. You see what I'm saying? It's an act of humility because he came as a servant. But he says, you know, that, yeah, you're clean. So I don't need to wash your body. But the point is, is he said, not all of you. What was he referring to? Not all of them were clean. Not all of them understood humility. You see what he's saying? He's referring to Judas. Look at verse 11. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done unto you? Ye call me master and Lord. And ye say well, for I am for so am for so I am so he's saying, you're saying well by calling me master and lord, this is true look at verse fourteen if I then your lord and master have washed your feet, uh ye also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you um an example that ye should do as I have done unto you verily verily I say unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So Jesus is saying, I'm not greater than my father and you guys are not greater than me. This is how you are supposed to treat one another. Then he says, if ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have um, chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So what does that mean? Jesus is being betrayed. There's nothing worse than betrayal, but even betrayal itself is a part of humility. Now, you know, this is the part where Jesus told um, them that one of them will betray me. And what did Judas do? Um, You know, Judas was eating amongst them. The disciples were asking, Lord, is it me? You know, is it one of us? And Jesus said, he that I give the sop and dipped it in, and he that receive it is him that betrays me. And what happened? Jesus dipped the sop, the bread in the sop, and gave it to Judas, and Satan entered into him. And why was that? Satan left the doorway open for the devil to work. He was greedy. He was proud. He wanted his own way aside from Jesus, and he did not believe in the humility of Christ. But you see, humble as Jesus was, he knew that He didn't attack Judas. He didn't cast the devil out of Judas and go after him. Because at this point, this was the end of Jesus's life. And this was time to choose. Who do you believe? And as you can see, Judas, Judas never bought in. He never believed. Many of us today are in churches and in Bible studies and doing different things. But they don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe in the humility of Jesus. They don't believe in serving him with their lives. They still want the world and all that they can have in it aside from him. And you see, when you are that way, you leave a doorway for the devil to get in. And that's why it said Satan entered into him. And that's why Satan enters into many of us today, because we leave a doorway open. If we love the world that God did not make, this cosmos and this aeon, God made the earth. God owns the earth. Satan owns the world, which is the age, the trend that's going on today. You see, how can you cast out Satan and you love Satan's styles? Mm -hmm. How can you love everything that Satan do and want to get rid of the devil? You got to first get rid of the devil in you to serve God. That's what this is about. But, you know, Jesus in his humility, you know, he made sure that, you know, even Judas had a chance to be saved. Jesus is our perfect example. In your spare time, uh, read uh, Ephesians chapter four. I believe that's the only thing on this list that I left behind. And he talks in, in James chapter one, actually, and James chapter three. You know what, I wanna read one more to make an example. Let's go to Luke seven in verse 24. I can't leave this out. Luke seven and 24. All right, Luke 7, let's look at verse 24. And it says, and when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. So John the Baptist is dead. John the Baptist's uh, followers told Jesus, and um they they uh, no, at this point they wanted to know if John um John wanted to know if Jesus was that Messiah or do we look for another. So John was having his moment of doubt here. And Jesus told them, you know, then show John or tell John about the works that I've done so that John could be confident. So this is Jesus saying um, in verse 24 here. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. He says, what went ye out into the wilderness uh, for to see? A reed shaken in the wind. But what went ye out for to see? a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. So look at what he's saying here. We know we read this sometimes in Matthew 11, but I like the Luke account for tonight because he says, you dress delicately. He said, you looking for, you wanted John the Baptist to be Father John the Pope? You know, who did you want him to be? Creflo Dollar? You wanted them to be TD Jakes or Joe Osteen walking around in these expensive robes as if they're someone? Is that who you were expecting to see? Because if that's who you're looking for, those guys are in king's houses that live delicately, you know, drinking tea with their little pinky stuck out, you know, believing that they're somebody, you know, too proud, you know? And so he says, man, if that's who you thought was going to represent me, you better think again. Because God's people don't live delicate lives. They get in the trenches to save souls. They lower themselves before God, that God may be exalted. That's what this is about. So he says, uh, I believe I'm in verse, uh, in verse 6, 26, sorry. And he says, but what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written behold i send my messenger before thy face which shall prepare thy way uh, before thee for i say unto you among those that are born of women there is not uh, there is not a greater prophet than john the baptist but he that is least in the kingdom of god is greater than he so we must understand what was john the baptist what about him was different than the rest of them. His whole message was Christ. His whole message was repentance. Right out of the womb or in the womb, John was filled with the spirit and John was led by the spirit every day in his life. John was the only one aside from Jesus. You know what, maybe even more so than Jesus, and Lord, forgive me, I'm not blaspheming, but Jesus was the son of the carpenter. John the Baptist lived the rest of his life in the wilderness. John lived in the wilderness, being led by the Spirit. But he says that who is least in John is greater than he. So who is least in John? Who showed more humility and meekness than John? Jesus Christ. So you see, if we have Christ in us, he that is least in the kingdom will be greater than John. Jesus was a greater servant than John. Jesus showed more humility than John. Thank you, Lord, for the correction, because I didn't want to say anything wrong. But, you know, out of all the people that were born of women, there was none greater than John the Baptist. Not Moses. Moses had 40 years living in Pharaoh's court as a rich man. Not Elijah. Elijah lived. Well, Elijah is the spirit of John the Baptist. Okay, so their lives were similar. That's probably why he linked them the same. But you see, John the Baptist never ran from anything. Elijah did. But out of those, can you find a greater servant in the Bible? that served you know every moment of his life in the wilderness not even eating real food eating locust and wild honey walking around with camel's fur and hair and all he can tell you is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand he says the one who will come after me is greater than i that i am not even worthy to loosen the shoes off of his feet he says i come to baptize with water but he shall come to baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. So you understand here that John the Baptist gave all from the very moment of his birth, but Jesus Christ is greater than he because he is God incarnate. That's what we better recognize concerning this. So if we have Christ in us, what will that make us? A denied individual led by the Spirit living for Christ, making us greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because Jesus is greater than them all. And what does Paul say? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Anyway, let me make the point. So he says, and all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God of being baptized with the baptism of John. So all the publicans that heard that, man, let me get baptized. You know what baptism is too? It's a form of humility. Even praying to be baptized in the Spirit is humility, it's meekness, because you don't have what God has, and you want God to give it to you. So you seek Him, that you, you knock, you ask for these things that God will give it. All right, so he says, look at, so the publicans received it, verse 30. But the Pharisees and lawyers, you see these individuals, rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him, verse thirty-one. And the Lord said, Whereunto then uh, shall I liken uh, the men of this generation, and to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling on another, and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned, we have mourned to you, and ye have not uh, wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and ye say he hath the devil. The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. So does this mean Jesus was a drunk? No. Jesus drank wine, okay, for the simple fact of He he became all things to all men, as Paul says. Jesus did not enjoy a glass of wine when he got done with ministering. He wasn't looking for any of these things. He drank wine with the publicans and sinners that they may find him. I'm not encouraging anybody to do this. I'm not saying drinking wine is is what God wants. Even Paul tells Timothy, have a little wine when your stomach is upset, okay, to clear out your stomach. This is not the wine that we have today and all the filth that people get into. Jesus drank wine, okay, with the people because he wanted them to receive him. That was a type of humility of him that he showed. I'm not encouraging anybody to do this. But when it says Paul became all things to all men, this is what Paul was speaking of. And this is what Jesus did. Some people would say grape juice. They wouldn't call Jesus a wine-bibber if he had grape juice. Let's get out of being self-righteous and understand what's going on here. Jesus was not a drunk. Jesus had a glass of wine with the rest of them, okay, that they may win him. He didn't see himself above them. He came to their level to bring them out, okay, that they may understand God's goodness. Because you see, self-righteousness here is is a lack of, meekness of spirit i know people don't want to hear this this was hard for me but the bible says he had wine he said john had neither wine or nor was he eating food regularly and they said that he was um that he was crazy or evil he had a devil john lived his whole life fasting and then they turned and jesus said but you say the son of man is gluttonous he eats a lot and he's a wine bibber A wine-bibber is a drunk. So Jesus did have wine. It was not for the sake of sinful purposes or to take a load off when he was done with the dead. It was because he was becoming all things to all men to win them to Christ. That's all he was doing. A lot of people don't like that. Check your self-righteous heart. It's right here in the Bible. He even um, performed um, um, the first miracle he did was to... um, turn uh, water into wine at a wedding. Okay? Yes, it was symbolic for many things, but nevertheless, it was still wine. (laughs) You know? So, you know, it's not about Jesus being a drunk. I don't like to think of that. I don't like to hear that either, but it says he had wine. Could it have been a glass of wine? Could it have been a sip of wine just to get to them? Absolutely. Okay? A lot of people don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. And they called him, look, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. So that tells you right there that Jesus wasn't a drunk. He says wisdom is justified of her children. If you, if that's the wisdom you got from seeing what Jesus was doing to win souls, then wisdom is justified of your children. Then be ignorant. If you refuse to understand or see the wisdom in what Jesus was doing, then remain ignorant and, and call it how you will. That's what he means by wisdom is justified of her children. If that's what you saw, then hey, then so be it unto you, but that's not the truth. That's why he said, man, let it be. Wisdom is justified of her children. Yes, sir.
0: You brought this point up a while back, a couple years ago, I think, and it was a discussion that you and I were having and it was about if you went to somebody's house, and I'm not saying you indulged in alcohol, if you went to someone's house and they offered you a drink and you had maybe a few steps of it or one, to bring their walls down because a lot of self-righteous people will go there. Now, if you've had trouble with alcohol in the past, like myself, the Lord may say, do it differently. But if you never had that in your system and it would not be an issue for you in your life to take a sip of wine or have a glass of wine that you deny the rest because you know the penalties of being an alcoholic and being a drunk, then you can bring that person's walls down and say, hey, you know, you're a Christian, but you're not a self righteous Christian. I
1: see that. That's why I love the Lord just gave me a word, and the enemy's trying to steal it from me. But you know what the Lord just told me? Just sitting here listening as we took that little break. The Lord made it clear, He was also trying to show the self righteous Pharisees it's not what you put into the body that defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the body which is true righteousness and holiness. Thank you, Jesus. As you were sitting there talking, the Lord was speaking to me and bringing that to mind. But our God is not a drunk, okay? Our God is, he was doing that to bring them in. Because you know how many self-righteous people today try and win souls? You know how many, well, well, I'm not gonna shake his hand. I mean, after all, he's dirty. And then go back to where you came from, because this is a dirty job. But many people feel that way. Well, make sure you hold a napkin in your hand when they when you shake their head. Then man, go back home. All right. But you see, this is the humility of Jesus Christ. Yeah. He was there to show the Pharisees, you guys can wash as many pots and cups as you please. You'll never be holy because you're not within. Now God may tell, like Sarah said, some people, you know, don't take a drink because you know you struggle with that. I told you not to touch another part of alcohol in your life. Now, God can tell you to do that, and then you won't. But God can tell someone else, man, take a sip. The Holy Ghost will guide you, and you'll be okay here because you're trying to get to the people. All right? But some people will use an excuse, knowing they love alcohol, go drink, and then say they're doing it in the name of Jesus. God knows the heart. I wouldn't suggest anybody drink any alcohol today because of the stuff that they're putting in it. They're putting in it. They call alcohol spirits. The word alcohol comes from the word um, Alcor or something like that, which was another, um, which was a god in Eastern mysticism. So you see alcohol itself, you are drinking spirits. That's why they name alcohol the things that they do. That's why people can start getting their conscience altered and start talking crazy and doing all sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. because you've got another spirit in you. So let me make the point. But you see, Jesus was trying to make clear to them, you guys are proud. You guys are arrogant. You think that you're righteous by your own standards. I can have a glass of wine and still be righteous because I am inside and out. Look at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to me. And behold, a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that jesus sat at me in the pharisee's house brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and and did wipe them sorry and did wipe them with her hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment you think this is love this is humility You know how many people i just got my hair done don't touch my hair this woman is washing jesus feet with her tears and dust in a dusty ground in jerusalem she's got her hair down washing his feet you know why she wanted to be saved she saw the value in her hair being nothing before god and today we still want to be somebody and this woman is anointing his head with oil and wiping his feet with her hair man that's humility Because unless she had hair like Rapunzel, you've got to get down on your knees and and actually have your face toward the ground to wash his feet. This is total submission, humility, and meekness. Verse 39, Now when the Pharisees which had been in him uh, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is, that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So this even adds more to the story than we just read. This man was looking at Jesus, saw a woman worshiping him, and looked at Jesus and judged him according to that. So you're trying to say, man, you hanging out with this harlot? This woman slept with everybody in town, and here you are allowing her to do this, and this is okay with you? Man, Lord, I don't know about you. If you were a prophet, you would have known What kind of woman this is? That's because Jesus' eyes see deep. Jesus' eyes are not like you and I judging people from the outside. So You see, this guy now invited Jesus in his place. So you can imagine he only invited him in. So, yeah, I had dinner with the son of God. I just want everybody to know, see, he was with me. He came into my house and I showed him how to treat somebody. But then when he saw how Jesus reacted with this woman, now all of a sudden... I don't know about you. I thought you were holy, but now I'm not sure. So was he doing it for Christ? Was he doing it in humility? Was he really loving and wanting to serve the Lord? It was only that he might be seen in him. So he could tell everybody later, I had the Lord over my house. Yeah, I had him over my house. You know, I gave him a little some treatment. Yeah, you know. but I mean, it wasn't all that. But you see, that was his mentality. Yeah. So now that Jesus is allowing this, See, he's not who I thought he was. See, if he was really righteous. See, Jesus is only righteous because he was coming to my house. But the very fact that he helped this woman, I'm not too sure about him. You see, that's the that's the church and the world today. That's the religious mind. They hate to see humility and God's righteousness. Oh, man. So anyway, let me make the point. So it says uh, the Pharisees saw it, verse 40 and Jesus answered and said unto him. Now, notice this man didn't say a word. This man felt it and thought it. And Jesus knew right away what this man was thinking. And now he's going to make an example of him. You know, I even I even can figure out that Jesus knew this woman was coming. Mm-hmm. So he agreed to go into this man's house. Jesus knows everything, man. He uses the weak to confound the wise. You see that? He uses the humble to confound the strong. Why? Because they think they know. The Lord wants to show you, you know nothing aside from me. That's why he took someone like John the Baptist. Look at verse 40. And Jesus answering and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, sing on. There was a certain creditor, which had two debtors, and one owed five hundred pence, and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom uh, he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman, I entered into thine house, I came into your house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. Uh, My head with oil thou did not anoint, but this woman had anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sons, her sins, sorry, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven, and they that were set at meat with him, began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. So you see, humility is also an act of faith. He was comparing while this man is sitting there judging what kind of woman she was. This woman is laying it all out for Jesus, lowered her head to the ground, washed his feet. She wasn't even invited to this thing. She saw him and ran to him, believing who he was. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I think one of the biggest ways that we can show true meekness and humility is to admit that we are sinners and that we need the saving grace of Christ to be saved. That's what this is about. And that never goes away from you as a believer. Paul in Romans chapter seven, full of the Holy Ghost, said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? But I thank God for Jesus, that he, you know, I can't finish the rest of it, but the point is, as Paul recognized even until the day of his death, I've got to buffet my body and keep it under subjection, or I myself can be a castaway. And who are we today to be holier than thou? To think that we don't owe anybody anything. We've got some work to do in the kingdom of God. And we need to be partakers of this fruit. We need to be lowly and humble, humble before God. Spending time with Jesus, you'll pick up his nature. And then so he'll give his spirit that we may grow these fruit. So you see, the fruit of meekness is just as important as any other fruit. A lot of people make it seem as weak, but it's really a sign of strength. It's really a sign of humility and humbleness to say, you know what? It is what it is. They don't know. I'm not gonna defend myself or my reputation. They'll learn as they go. Jesus said, I have many things to tell you all, but I'm afraid that you can't bear it now. There are many things that they did when he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration and he was there talking to Moses and Elijah and Peter got beside himself talking about, we need to make three tabernacles, Lord. One for you, one for Elijah and one for Moses. Jesus didn't say, they're a blasphemer. How dare you say such words? Jesus remained quiet and the cloud came over and the father came and said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. How many times did you hear Jesus say, my father is greater than I? How many times did you hear Jesus say, my doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me? Jesus said, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is he who honoreth me in whom you say he is your God. So let's be more humble, let's be more meek. Meekness is a sign of strength and without it, no man shall see God or inherit the things that God wants. So I just wanna tell the people with that, you know, I love you to give your lives to Jesus. These fruit are beautiful fruit. We've got two more in this series to go, but hopefully people are getting some more understanding of this because I can tell you, as the Lord is sitting here teaching us, I am, I'm learning an awful lot about these fruit and how we need them to do the works of Christ. So I just wanna to say to my sister, Dawn, I love you, happy birthday. I meant to say it in the beginning, but the Lord wanted me to say it after. I'm grateful and thankful for them, for what they bring and how they contribute to this ministry. My sister's given so much money to this ministry and right now she's currently without a job. So you guys pray for her that she has one. You know, the Lord is still blessing them. They're still having and they're still giving because they've become God-fearing. So you see, that's what it's all about. You know, they love the ministry. They're getting things from it. And praise the Lord for it because it's nothing we've done of ourselves. It's only of God and his righteousness. After all, this is his ministry, and he's going to do what he sees fit with it. So I just want to tell you all I love you. Give your lives to Jesus. Sarah is going to present And then we are going to go into prayer and conclude.
0: All right. Let's go to Jeremiah 31 and verse 18. Jeremiah 31 and 18. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smote myself, I smote upon my thigh, I was ashamed, yea. Even confounded, because I did bear the repro- did bear the reproach of my youth. So this saying here is, is that, you know, he came unto the Lord and said, Lord, you know, I am as a bullock that is uncustom. You know, you chastised me; I was chastised. But put your yoke upon me, which we read in the New Testament that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. So it wasn't saying that it was a hard bondage that He was trying to put on him, but He was just saying, Lord, where you lead, I will follow. So direct me and I will go that way. But what happened first was is that he had to be chastised to do so. Mm-hmm. Then he repented. Mm-hmm. You know, So he had to see the error of his ways first. Then he could repent thereof. Mm-hmm. Verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is, the, is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly re- remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps. Set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as yet they shall use these, this speech in the land of Judah, and in the cities thereof, when I shall bring again their captivity. The Lord bless thee, O inhabitations, O inhabitation of justice, and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself, and in all the cities thereof together, husbandmen, and they that go forth with flock. I have stat, satiated. Satiated. Thank you the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul." So in other words, as Israel and Judah, you know, when He's speaking here of this, we can also say for it in our own life, if we turn back and go to the Lord and do what He tells us to do, because like you mentioned tonight, like the Holy Ghost mentioned tonight, there have been times we've been disobedient in our life, even in the present tense life. But if we desire to turn away from those things altogether, then what can happen? The Lord can take away the sorrow. He can take away the reproach. He can take away the depression an individual might even be feeling. And He can fill our cup. But we have got to part from the world in order to do so. We cannot have both in our life. And that's what happened to Israel and Judah. They were were always trying to mingle themselves with the Gentiles and with those of the heathen and those of the world. Even though they were God's chosen people, they were trying to go and do what the world did, and because of that, they had false idols in their life constantly going Mm -hmm. against Jesus Christ, constantly going against God, but he always had mercy upon them to say, come back. If you come back, I can replenish you, Mm -hmm. but you've got to turn away from the world first. Verse 26, upon this I awaked and beheld, and my sleep was sweet unto me. Behold, the day comes, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will... So the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beasts. And it shall come to pass that like I like as I have watched over them, to pluck them and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict, so will I watch over them to build and to plant, saith the Lord. In those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten a sore grape and the children's sour grape and the children's teeth set on edge. But every one shall die for his own iniquity. Every man that eateth the sour grape, his teeth shall be set on edge." And why is that? Because iniquity is willfully going against God. It's trying to live in our own sin. It's trying to live in our own transgression. And think that we can do the Lord's will by holding on and still holding on to the sin of this world. And that's just not how it happens. Because if we hold on to our sin, we won't want to follow after Jesus Christ. We won't want to do his will. We won't understand what it takes to walk with him. We'll want to, we want to go after the world. Our own sin will keep us from doing the will of Jesus Christ. And that's why it says it here. We will be destroyed. People will be destroyed because of that. Mm-hmm. And so that's with this, we have to understand that giving our life to Jesus Christ, giving up the world is so much better. It's so much better of the fulfillment. We will have a salvation, the eternal glory with. The Lord. We've got to give up that sinful nature first.
1: So, that's what I heard. Awesome. so, you know, hopefully tonight everybody's got some understanding of meekness. You know, I wanted to take it in a different direction, but the Lord always knows best. So, it's just important that we obey Him and we follow Him and we do the things that He tells us to do because He is God. And unless we are as but little children, we will never see the kingdom of God. So anybody want to pray out tonight? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. I'll pray okay. Yeah, all right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you this
0: evening in Jesus' name.
1: Thank you, Lord. I just want to
0: say thank you, Lord, for this day
1: that you've given to us. Yes, Lord.
0: I just want to say thank you, Lord, for all and everything that you've done for us and how you've blessed us beyond measure. And just, Lord, how you've shown your love and your mercy and your grace and your long-suffering, all the fruit of the Spirit upon us, Lord, so that we can have a grown in us.
1: Yes, Lord.
0: Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty, if we are ever questioning your will for our life, all we have to do is just turn to your Scriptures, Lord, and to read about everything that you've done for us, Lord, and everything that the prophets and the disciples did of old, that this word, this truth could come forward, Lord Jesus Christ, and we will understand what it takes to walk with you, because we are living in a very, very deceptive time, Lord. Yes, Lord. Where your word has been tampered with, Lord Jesus, but you are the author and finisher of our faith, not the author of confusion,
1: Lord. Yes, Lord. So I'm
0: praying, Lord God, for everyone wanting to serve you tonight, Lord, those that have been called to the mission fields of, in the United States, to the mission fields across the world, Lord, that they turn to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and ask for your guidance, and ask that we have this fruit bear in our life, Lord, because this is what it takes. This is what it takes to walk with you, Lord. We have got to have that in us, because the devil is going to try and come at us with every single avenue that he can, that this fruit is not organically grown in our life, and we have to have it, Lord, to follow after you in everything that we do. I'm praying for the individuals tonight, Lord, that listened in, that are not saved, Lord, but they're questioning it, that you touch their lives, Lord Jesus Christ, and that you help them to understand, Lord, it doesn't matter who they are or where they've come from, Lord, you can declare it all. You can cast it all out of them. It can all be rebuked out of their life, Lord Jesus Christ. As they give their lives to you, and I pray that they will, Lord, because eternal heaven or eternal hell is just way too long, Lord, and we have to choose. Those tonight, Lord, of us that are calling ourselves Christians and we're, we're just sitting on the sidelines, not doing anything, Test your lives lord and reveal it unto them yes, that unless we walk with you lord unless we are as you are lord jesus christ we have to question what our salvation is truly at and if we're wanting to truly follow after you because lord this is a life-changing experience it's not some religious setting lord it is that we get built up in you and we get filled with the holy ghost and we go out and to do your will
1: yes lord so thank
0: you jesus for changing our lives thank lord you, thank you lord. for everyone who's donated to this ministry. Thank you to everyone, Lord, that's been prayerful for this ministry and other ministries out there, Lord God, that you touch them and bless them, Lord, and keep us all in the fight that we can serve you, Lord Jesus Christ, with every breath that's within us, with our dying last things. Thank you, God. In Jesus Christ, your
1: most holy name. Amen. That's going to wrap it up for this week. Um, Subscribe if you want. If not, you know, find someone who's going to help, you know, and help you walk with Jesus. So uh, till next time, guys, see you then.
0: With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.